give you a little test, and we'll just have a show of hands. How about that? That'll be that'll be our test. So if this is true to you, then you'll raise your hand, and if it's just foreign to you, you won't. How about that? So if you, John chapter 14. All right, so if you're a hog fan, raise your hand. Amen. All right. That's not really the test, but I thought I would just see any, no hands. Okay, moving right along. Uh, our subject today is the subject of anxiety. That's a tough one, all right, so... Not sure how much you're going to necessarily enjoy this, but I really believe that it's probably one of the greatest lessons in terms of um, making disciples that you could teach someone. I really believe that because did you know that the leading one of the leading causes of depression, uh, which is one of the greatest illnesses, is anxiety in our culture. Our culture is an anxious culture. And so I wrote down a few things that people become anxious over, and they all start with an F, right? I don't know how that worked out, but it did. Um, You ever have anxiety over family? Raise your hand. Family. All right. Sometimes they bring uh, anxiety to the table. About friends. You ever been anxious? Friends. Some of you don't have any friends. Okay. So so you are anxious. You're wanting to make friends. Uh, finances. Well, I heard some groaning on that one. How about future? Any of you ever? Uh, failure. Um, I want us to read John 14, 1, and we're going to get to that eventually, but I want us to just kind of go through this subject this morning, um, hopefully with our mind prepared to kind of be open to what what God said to his disciples, which is no different message than he would tell us today. Uh, There's not a different message. And so um, it's just, this is what it is. If the Lord Jesus was here and he said, I mean, he's going to know, right, that we do get anxious. He knows that. He knows there's, the word actually means agitation. It means stirred up. So he knows the things that stir us up because he knows us full well. Okay, so we're not hiding the anxiety from the Lord. It's just the reality of life. As you're living life, there are things that make you anxious. But the message of Jesus Christ, right, was standing here today and he's talking to his disciples, us that are in Christ, He'd say, look, this is what you need to do. (laughs) Like, he's not going to give you anything else but this. And and I found that a lot of Christians, and I don't mean you, but I found a lot of people are kind of not sold on that. Because this is what he tells his disciples in chapter 14, verse 1, and you probably know the verse pretty well. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jerry Bridges, 
I like this. It's a short quote, but it's pretty good. And if you're looking for where to fill all this in, it should be in your bulletin. There should be a handout there for you. He says, No circumstance is so big that he, meaning God, cannot control it. Do you believe that? <laughs> Do you believe that? All right. No circumstance. I mean, it may look like those giant waves are crashing in, but no circumstance, right, is so big that he cannot control it. The Lord, my friends, knows the anxiety in your life. Um, you know, it's pretty interesting here in the text. The Lord doesn't say to his disciples, hey, guys, you anxious? He didn't have to. He knew. He's God. He knew their hearts. He knew they had anxious hearts. He knew there was agitation there. And so, as you're looking at the text, you have to go, okay, if you're just reading 14 and you start with 14.1 and move on, you're missing out on what made them agitated. Right? So, so we said, and just taking that little test, finances at times stir us up, makes us anxious. Friends, family... That whole family piece ought to be a, it's a piece by itself, right? That happens, right? And so all this anxiety can come up in our lives and, and we can be at the end of our rope, so to speak, and, and, and we go, what do we do? And if you're just starting in 14.1, you're missing out on what agitated or stirred up the disciples. So, I thought I'd give you a few that I can see from the context of the passage. You know, what caused their troubled hearts? Right? I mean, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. So, he knew that they were troubled. I don't know about you, but I really like the fact that the Lord knows when I'm troubled. I like that. It gives me a peace. That may even sound strange, right? Uh, I almost titled this message, um, Do You Want Peace? Because in the passage... In the context, he's about to talk to them about the Holy Spirit, right? And the one he was going to leave with them. And he's, guys, listen to me. This is really awesome stuff. If you're in Christ today, you have the peace living in you. <laughs> See? You don't have to go looking for the peace, right? Our world's looking for the peace. Our world's going, man, where's the peace? And Jesus says he's the peace, right? He tells them that, he would be with them, but then he was going to be in them. The Spirit of God, the living God, resides in you. And so we do, listen, just like these disciples, we walk around in our lives, and sometimes we're pretty agitated, we're, we're pretty anxious. There's four things here that I've noticed, and I just want to give them to you. Um, and this goes back even further than chapter 13. In fact, you just read the whole Gospel of John this afternoon, that'll be okay. Because then you can kind of see what's going on in the flow of it, right? And, his, and, and the Lord in his life is revealing to his disciples all along the way that, that he's going to die. <laughs> right? And, and they're not getting it. But he told them he was going to die. You go back to chapter 12, verses 32 and 33. He's about to die. In fact, in the context of 13 through 17, literally hours from the cross... Now, if you're one of those disciples, put yourself in their shoes or sandals for a second. I mean, you've given up, right? You said, I'm going to follow you, and you follow him. And now he says, listen, 
I'm going to die. And then you witness as one of those disciples, you witness his crucifixion. <laughs> well, they thought, the disciples thought what? Hey, this guy, he's the Messiah. He's going to come and deliver us from what? Roman oppression. And even before this, they're arguing about where they're going to sit, to his right or to his left. Who's going to be, who's, who are going to be the guys? And he told him, he said, I'm going to die. End of verse 33, but he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. And a few hours later, from this context, he dies. <laughs> um, I'm thankful that he died. And that sounds kind of strange maybe to our world, but aren't we thankful that he died? Right? That he paid that penalty. Right? I'm glad I don't have to pay the penalty. The unbeliever will pay. Do you realize this? And I know it's a little side thing, but the unbeliever will pay for eternity. You know, as you get older in the Lord, at least for me, I've been more sympathetic, I guess, and I think I have been. I have to ask my wife, but I get, as I get older, I'm like, you know, I look at people and I go, man, they're spending eternity in heaven or hell. But it's one of them. And you're not going to be in heaven unless you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. Just the bottom line. So he tells them, he's like, I'm going to die. And then he says to one of them in the context, I want you to look at this, 1321. Look at this for just a moment. He said to one of them in the upper room that you would betray me. Look what happens, 1321. Look what it says. It says, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Now, if you're like in that room and you're like, what are they doing? They're looking at each other. That's what the Bible says, 22. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. And what happens? That one's identified and his name is Judas Iscariot. And he leaves the room. He leaves. Imagine if you were one of the disciples and you see Judas. I mean, you've been with the guy. This is not just, hey, see Judas. You've been, he's been with the Lord Jesus, just like those other disciples. And he leaves to go do what Scripture says he would do. He would betray the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And you know what? That's what he did. So that creates some anxiety that Judas was the one identified that would betray the Lord and he leaves the room. So obviously that creates some agitation or anxiety on the part of the disciples. Then he told Peter that he would deny him three times. You know, remember Peter's the one, if you studied the life of Peter, he's right out front. He's the one that steps out of the boat and gets on the water. By the way, don't give him too bad of a time. He stepped out of the boat. He got out. That's pretty awesome when you think about it. Right? He got out. But then what happened to Peter? As he's out and he's on the water, he begins to look at what? Circumstances. He sees the results of the wind and the waves. And what does he do? He begins to do what? He begins, there's a great lesson in that. That's what happens to us at times, isn't it? Man, we're on that road and we're, we're, we're looking to the Lord and, and we see, right, the results of what's going on around us and we become fearful. 
it agitates us, it stirs us up. In John 13, 38, he tells Peter that he would deny him three times. And you know what happens? He denies him three times. But you need to read the rest of that story. Don't put Peter out to pasture. <laughs> right? The dude, I mean, you come to 21, and Peter does what? Man, the Lord is restoring Peter. Right? That's happening in 21 of John. So you have Peter's uh, denial of the Lord three times predicted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then... This is the one I believe in the context of the passage that obviously stirs up the conversation. He said he was going away. If you look down in verse 33 of John 13, he says, Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You shall seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. Now I say also to you also. All right, so then the Lord, now this, catch this out, right? This is awesome. He tells them that, and then he gives them the commandment, the new commandment. He says, what, you're to love one another as I have loved you. And then Peter responds and says, yeah, Lord, we are to love one another. Is that what he does? No, that's not what he does. That's not what happens. What does he do? The Bible tells us he responds. What's his response? His response is to what Jesus said in terms of I'm going away. And then Peter says to him, I will lay down my life for you, right? That's what he says to the Lord. And so these circumstances create this trouble, this anxiety, this agitation on the part of the disciples. And so you come to chapter 14, verse 1, and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. When I was in um, high school... I had an ulcer when I was a senior in high school. I don't know if you've ever had an ulcer, but they aren't a whole lot of fun. But I remember not being able to eat. I mean, I just hardly could keep anything down. I worried all, literally all the time. Every, it seemed like every waking moment that I had, I was worrying. You know what I was worrying about? What people thought of me. That's a terrible place to be. I don't know if any of you have ever been through that. It's awful. You feel like that everybody's looking at you all the time, and it's just pride. But you feel like everybody's looking at you all the time, and they're analyzing you all the time. And that's an awful place to be. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's terrible. And it got so bad, it made me sick, and I was losing weight, and I ended up going to the doctor, and I had an ulcer. I worried, and I worried all the time. And I even had that when I first entered Southeastern Bible College. Do you know that people around you worry? Do you know that? There are people that have constant battles with this issue of worry. And the disciples have this issue of worry or agitation in their lives and the Lord gives them the cure. And the cure centers around two commands. These are not suggestions that the Lord gives to His disciples, but they're imperatives. He's telling them, listen, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. So the first cure that He gives them is the command to obey. The command to obey. 
he says, do not let your heart be troubled. And there were a few, there are a few observations that I want to make from this particular uh, statement that the Lord Jesus makes. All right, so the first cure for the disciples is wrapped up in this little issue of obedience. Obedience is a heart issue. Because it demands that you deny self. You deny what, what you really want to do. Um, first thing that I observe is that he knew they were anxious. You know, he didn't take a survey and say, are you guys anxious? He knew they were anxious. Why? Because he's omniscient. There's not one thing hidden from our Lord. I like the way that David puts it in the familiar psalm to us, Psalm 139. Where David writes, and you can just listen to these words, Psalm 139, 1 through 4. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down. And are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Look at the, listen to this, the omniscience of our Lord. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, Thou dost know it all. (laughs) The Lord knew. He knew the anxiety that His disciples were experiencing. It was real. Have you ever sat with someone who's been anxious about something? Right? And you're like, how in the world do I help them? And... Might I say to you, the best thing that we can do is pray with that person and point them to the Lord. You know, man has a lot of solutions for anxiety, but I don't think they're biblical. You know, I believe the Lord gives the answer to the disciples. And I'm not discounting the fact that some of you may struggle with anxiety. I've been there and I've done that. that I really struggled with it when I was young. I don't as much, but that doesn't mean I don't get anxious. I do, but I know the answer. At least I know the answer. Um, so he knew they were anxious. I want you to notice, secondly, that his command was to all the disciples. That word, you're there, in verse 14 is plural. Let not your heart. So it wasn't just Peter, it's all of them. Let not your heart be troubled. So the command was to all the disciples. You know, we kind of have that, too, in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. I want you to go there real quick, and I just want to refer to this. Philippians chapter 4, and you know the text well, but I want you to turn there because I want to show you the verses previous to it in the context of the passage. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. So that's what my life is to be. All right? My joy is in the Lord. Rejoice. That's an action. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be made to, uh, be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. That's what he tells the Philippian believers. So, that's an imperative, by the way, in the Greek. It's an imperative. He's not saying, if you want to. But he's saying... Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, what does he say? With thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. 
And the peace of God, there it is, and the peace of God, right? We're looking for that peace. The disciples in that upper room needed peace. And Paul says, in the peace of God, I like the way that it's put here, which surpasses all comprehension. You ever gone through a circumstance and you've just been really at peace with it and, 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 and the circumstance is really huge and, and people around you are looking at you and, and they're saying, even verbally saying to you, aren't you worried? Anybody, you ever had that happen? I've had that happen. That aren't you worried? The building hadn't sold? Nope. Lord's in control. Say, He's in control. The building sold. But even if it wouldn't have sold, He's in control. Right? So He says, And the peace of God, but you have to do verse 6 if you're going to experience verse 7, which surpasses all comprehension shall guard. That word guard there is the word garrison. It's a picture of 6,000 Roman soldiers. Shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Can I tell you that the Lord brought this to my mind this morning early that He is, He has our best interest in mind. He loves us so much, He doesn't want us to be agitated or concerned or worried. He doesn't want that. Well, I like that thought that my God loves me so much. And that's what was going on in that upper room. His command was to all the disciples. The third observation is the command is a present tense imperative. That might not mean a whole lot to you. I don't know how excited you get, but it excites me. I like looking at that kind of stuff because it dig, it's, it's under the surface. And so it can literally be translated, stop being troubled, because that's what was going on. They were troubled. And so the Lord says, stop being troubled. And the fourth observation that I make is that the command suggests victory is possible. Victory is possible. Victory over anxiety is possible with the help of the Holy Spirit, guys, in our lives. The command suggests for the disciples that victory is possible. So there's the command to obey, and then there's the command to believe. In verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, I want to explain something to you here because um, it's very important. And um, hopefully we won't be on it too long. But it's really important for you to understand. Um, As you look in the text, those look like what? Imperatives. Okay? Most theologians believe that imperatives are in mind for both. Believe in God, believe also in me. But the believe in God is indicative, meaning this. You believe in God, believe also in me. Does that make sense? So the first option here is you believe in God, believe also in me. Right? So he's acknowledging their faith in God, but you believe in me because I am God. That's what he's saying. All right? So believe in God, believe also in me, or you believe in me. All right? That's the idea. First idea is you believe in God, believe also in me. But the second idea is that both are imperatives. The believe is an imperative in both cases. Um, 
I don't know, most theologians believe that both are commands because of the nature of the text. And I'm kind of one of those that I'm on the, I'm not always in the minority, but I kind of believe that the Lord's saying, you believe in God, believe also in me, based on the Greek structure of the text. So I know that's, I don't know how much you're really into that, but I need to explain that to you because there are people that are coming at it from different perspectives. But the Lord says to them, you believe in God, believe also in me. Or believe in God, believe in me. Well, um, one of the guys that I really like, Elmer Towns, he, this is his take on it. Um, he says, based on the nature of this discourse, most theologians agree that both occurrences of this verb should be understood as an imperative command. Most, not all. So you, you do have some that believe that it says, you believe in God, believe also in me. So, I'm kind of in that minority. I kind of think that they did believe in God. In fact, if you go back to chapter 6 of John, they affirm the deity of the Lord. So it could be that, that he's acknowledging belief not only in God but in himself, that they already do, but that they need to make it a lifestyle every day. Um, I like what he says here. He says his command... Um, to them, in his command to them, Jesus knew a troubled heart would eat away at that faith, but that faith would calm a troubled heart. I like that statement. Jesus knew a troubled heart would eat away at their faith, but faith would calm a troubled heart. And so that's what he says to them. He says, believe. Um, there's two or three observations that I wanted to make about this statement. The structure of the sentence shows that Jesus is claiming equality with God. That's what he's saying. Right? The structure of the text tells us that. In John's Gospel, he said, I and the Father are one. So he's been giving that message all along to his disciples. So when people say in our culture, hey, Jesus was just a good man, false. He's the God-man. Right? You see the title, Son of Man. He refers to himself as that many times in the Gospels. All right? The structure of the sentence shows that Jesus is claiming equality with God. So it's going to come out in the next couple of weeks. You're going to see, right, in those magazines. They always do it around Easter time. He was a good man. He's, you know, well, no, he's God. He's God. And that's what he's telling his disciples. So he's commanding his disciples to believe in him, that their trust should be in him in all circumstances. And what's going on right there in that room? All those things that were agitating them. It reminded me of the wisdom of Solomon. Right, because it's an everyday thing, right, this belief is, that I'm to trust the Lord every day. And so it's that wisdom of Solomon that says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. That's tough. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on what? Your own understanding. (laughs) I don't know about you, but if it's trusting the Lord with all your heart, that's over here. Or lean not on your own understanding. That is propensity in the flesh is to do this. I got this, God. But that's not what he wants. The wisdom is to trust in the Lord every day. So past that saving faith, that belief in Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm facing circumstances every day that bring with them agitation and anxiety, and so I get up in the morning and I say, Holy Spirit, control me today. 
Help me to believe today. No matter the circumstance, help me to believe today. So, he's commanding his disciples to believe in him. Thirdly, the command to trust in him was given in order to relieve their anxiety. I love that. (laughs) Guys, that's how much he loved his disciples. He did not want them to be anxious. He wanted them to stop being anxious. So, the command to trust in him was given in order to relieve their anxiety. I dealt with a teenager about 20 years, what years is that? About 23, 24 years ago. And um, she came in my office and um, she was really anxious. She had parents who loved her immensely, would, would do anything for her. And um, in fact, um, they sent her to a clinic. Because she was having such anxiety and depression in her life. And they thought, well, I'm gonna, we're, we're gonna send them, we're gonna send her, excuse me, to this clinic, and when she gets back, she's gonna be better. Well, they came to my office and they said, Dad, what do you think? And, and, um, I guess I just, I didn't have any other answer, but I said, well, I, all I know is what the Bible says. I said, what do you mean? And I said, I showed him some verses. And I said, well, the Lord tells us in Matthew 6 that we don't need to worry about what we're eating or how we're going to be clothed, and he's going to take care of all that stuff. That's that's all I know. All I know is what the Bible says. And they said, well, we know that, but she needs further help. I'm not saying there's not physiological things I don't understand. There's a whole lot of that I don't understand. But what I did understand was that I really believed the solution to her problem was found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. Sent her off to the clinic. She spent, I don't know, three, four months there. Came back, she was worse. Like thousands of dollars. I'm not talking ten bucks. Thousands of dollars. Now, guys, I want you to hear me. I know there are clinic, people who have clinical issues out there. I understand that. But when I read the text, if I just go by what the Bible says, I have to say, what's the Lord's remedy to anxiety? Is that a good question? What's his remedy? I just knocked my water over. What's his remedy? Himself. I'm it. I'm what you need. Now listen, he didn't say to them, well, you're not anxious. Everything's okay. You're going to be all right. No, they were anxious. And guys, listen, I'm like you. I'm in the same boat as you. I have things in my life that bring anxiety. But you know, the world's solution to problems is the world's solution to problems. I just believe that the Lord wants us to trust Him. Because that's what the book says. So some people might want to hang me for that. Fine, hang me. But that's what the Bible says. Jesus said to His disciples, what? Believe in God, believe also in me. He didn't say, believe in God, believe also in me, and do this. 
He didn't add anything to it. You know why, guys? I'm going to tell you why. And our world, unfortunately, has mixed the message. And unfortunately, it's kind of crept into the church. You know, that's good, but I need something just a little bit more than the Lord. I'm still looking for it in here. I can't find it. There's nothing else. Some people say, well, that's kind of harsh. Well, I don't think so. I think the Lord's being really loving. And I'm being really loving, saying that's what He tells us. I guess it's a troubling subject to me because I've seen so many people struggle with it. And I did at one time. And until I was taught and I recognized that the Lord was the one I could trust in every day, not just for saving faith, it really was a relief. All right. So believe in God, believe also in me. That was the answer to the disciples. Do you know that he puts icing on the cake, though? We won't go into this, but he gives, puts some icing on the cake. He not only tells them, look, I got your solution to the agitated heart. I'm the solution. But you know what else he does? He takes them from focusing on the things of this world, the circumstances of the world, and he says, hey, listen, let me tell you what's coming. <laughs> right? This is icing on the cake. Look verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places... If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know what, guys? Sometimes the world and the circumstances in our world rob us from having an eternal view. <laughs> and the Lord tells them in that upper room, He says, I'm your peace. I'm the one that can calm your heart. But I'm also going to be the one that you're going to be with for eternity. <laughs> That's icing on the cake. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says. says. She says, because God is my sovereign Lord, I am not worried. He manages perfectly. Boy, when I read this, I was like, wow, okay. I don't need to be worried about anything. He manages perfectly day and night, year in and year out, the movements of the stars, the wheeling of the planets, the staggering coordination of events that goes on in the molecular level in order to hold things together. There is no doubt that he can manage the timing, my days and weeks. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? Kind of puts it in perspective. You know, it's the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. He does. He does. He's in control. That doesn't mean, guys, listen, every one of us has experienced circumstances that makes us anxious. I did with my mom when she was going through cancer. There were many anxious moments for her. So translated meant there were many anxious moments for me. You get that? Right? Because that's that whole family piece. It's like, Lord, how am I going to help her? And, and every single time, it's like, Dad, pray with her. Read her my word. Remind her of who I am. 
I get excited about that stuff because I just believe the Lord. I believe Him. I believe He had the best interests of those disciples in mind when He says, believe in God, believe also in me. And I believe He has the best interest for you and me when He says, don't be anxious about a thing, but in everything. But you see that piece? But in everything, by prayer. You know what's going to relieve the stress in your life and my life? Prayer. Because when I'm praying, I'm depend- right, what am I doing? I'm showing forth dependence on the Lord. It's not my circumstance I'm focused on. It's Him. Well, we could talk about this subject all day. I wanted to um, end with a song that um, I'm not going to sing, but a song uh, that Mercy Me does, and it's entitled Even If. So I want you to listen to the words of this song.
well with your soul today. Um, just a couple of thoughts before we leave this morning. Um, that's a tough subject because it hits us right square in the jaw, right? Because that's life. Life brings with it anxiety. And I want you to know that um, I need your prayers in that area. And you might need my prayers in that area. Because life brings with it anxious moments. But I love the fact that we serve a God who said to His disciples, Believe in Me. I like that. I like the fact that He doesn't have all these other things He says to them. He just says, Believe in Me. And so when you face those moments, and you're going to and I'm going to, let's trust in the Lord. Let's, let's adhere to the wisdom of Solomon and trust in the Lord with all our heart. And lean not on our own understanding, whatever that might lead to. Let's do it because that's what he wants us to do. Let's stand on the closing word of prayer today.